I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. Flooding is America's number one natural disaster, affecting 99% of U.S. counties since 1996. Just one inch of water can cause roughly $25,000 of damage to one's home. And most homeowners don't know their flood risk or what they have currently covered in the event of a flood. Even more concerning, rises in extreme weather have made flooding more and more prominent. And they're not only happening in flood zones. On average, about 40% of the claims to the National Flood Insurance Program come from outside the high hazard zone. FEMA and its National Flood Insurance Program protect nearly 5 million policyholders and counting across more than 22,500 U.S. communities. So on today's episode, we sit down with David Marstad from the National Flood Insurance Program to talk about misconceptions and how it's designed to help residents and business owners protect the life they've built with flood insurance. One of the greatest tools that we have to help people recover from disasters, specifically flooding, you know, in a in a more holistic way, uh, is the National Flood Insurance Program. And to talk more about all things NFIP, we have David Marstad, the Deputy Associate Administrator, FEMA for Resilience. And David is also just a champion of the National Flood Insurance Program. So David, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, this important topic. There are so many misconceptions uh, with regard to flood insurance, and I'm looking forward to kind of talking through them, you know, from the perspective of a a potential policyholder, but also somebody maybe has a policy, and then also somebody who can encourage the public to be more prepared through flood insurance. So, David, I don't know that everybody can grasp uh, or maybe the average homeowner can really grasp what the flood risk is across the United States. So can you just paint that picture for me? Yeah, great question, because uh, flood risk across the, across the nation is definitely underappreciated. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that uh, 98% of U.S. Uh, counties have experienced a flood. So it's safe to say that flood risk is uh, significant regardless of, of where one uh, lives in the, uh, in the country. To really drive home how much flood risk is underappreciated, when you look at the numbers, less than 4% of households in the nation have an NFIP flood insurance policy. And what's even more stark is those that are in the uh, high-risk area Uh, only about a third of households have an NFIP uh, flood insurance policy. So that's why it's important for for us. And when I say us, I mean FEMA, our regional offices, uh, emergency managers at the state and, and local level, insurance, bankers, real estate. We all need to spread the message of how important uh, flood insurance is, of course, coupled with mitigation. Uh, and uh, why that's so important to help homeowners and renters uh, recover when uh, a flooding event uh, hits their community. So I really appreciate this opportunity to have have this discussion because regardless of whether you live inside or outside that high flood risk area, the facts are you need to consider uh, flood insurance. 
Yeah, I think you raise a lot of good points there, and uh, and I'm I'm glad that we're going to have that opportunity to sort of parse out some of the maybe the misconceptions about how you go about purchasing it, and you know what are the coverage limits and things like that. But as we look to spring flooding, as as we look through the thaw cycle, as we look to the potential for rains coming into the spring, I think many of the the individuals that we work with um, following a disaster think, well. Uh, there'll be an opportunity for some sort of a FEMA assistance to come into play here. But flood insurance can play a, an incredibly important part of that recovery. And so talk me through why it is so important for potential survivors to have flood insurance. You know, insurance is something that, uh, quite frankly, you're, you're looking at the future and trying to understand what the impact can be to your, um, you know, your fine, you know, your personal finances. And, you know, only, you know, one inch of, of, of water in a home can cause, you know, up to $25,000 worth of damage. And so it doesn't take, you know, a huge uh, flooding event to really have a, a significant impact on uh, you know your ability to handle financially handle that type of a that type of an of an event, and so it's really important because it's your best resource. Yes, uh, there may be some uh, ability for uh, some organizations to help out with some limited uh, funding. Uh, you know, through uh, donations of of some kind, or uh, certainly FEMA has an individual assistance grant program if there's a presidentially declared disaster. And of course, a lot of flooding events don't rise to the level of a presidentially declared uh, disaster. And so, but in those circumstances where you have a major flood event like that, um, it's, uh, there's an individual assistance program, grant program that that you can apply for uh, if you're uh, a survivor that doesn't have uh, insurance. And there's eligibility requirements. There's different types of 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 individual assistance. Mostly, though, it's to help for the immediate uh, the immediate needs uh, because of the because of the disaster. The average grant. Uh, I think the last time I saw numbers were somewhere in the $7,500 uh, range, certainly less than $10,000, where, you know, an average a flood insurance claim, uh, I'll use uh, Hurricane Harvey, for example, in Houston, the average flood insurance claim uh, in Harvey was over $115,000. Uh, the average flood insurance claim payment over the past five years is about you know, just right around $70,000. So when you compare, you know, less than $10,000 to $70,000, it's a quite quite a bit of difference uh, in, in your ability to be able to get on the road uh, to recovery. There are also programs through the Small Business Administration where you could qualify for, uh, for a loan. Um, of course, you have to pay those back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, I know a lot of uh, homeowners already, uh, you know, have a mortgage, already have a, a home equity loan uh, and now an SBA loan. Pretty soon, you know, it, it, it all really mounts up. So what we really want people to think about and we really want emergency managers to, to spread the word in their community about is 
think think ahead, prepare in advance for the very real flood risk that uh, individuals uh, face, and uh, recognize that flood insurance is a is a good way to recover more quickly and fully following uh, following event. And our whole, you know, with the National Flood Insurance Program, we want to close the flood insurance gap so we have more insured properties that lead to more resilient individuals, uh, neighborhoods, and communities. You know, of that sort of average $70,000 claim payment, David, what what kinds of damage are you really seeing that pay for? Well, right now you, you have, you buy two policies uh, if you're a homeowner. Uh, and you buy a policy on your dwelling, and then you buy a policy for contents. And surprisingly, in a lot of events, we actually see more damage to contents than we actually do to the dwelling. But of course, the dwelling, uh, you can have uh, you know, carpet uh, damage, you can have damage to uh, the, the, uh, the, the walls, uh, you know, if you're in the basement, of course, you can have damage to a ceiling basement. There's limited basement coverage, uh, but contents on the contents side, it's a little clearer. Uh, in essence, if you've bought uh, a contents policy and your couch, TV, uh, clothes, those types of things are are damaged because of the flood, then you are uh, reimbursed the actual cash value of those of those items. So. It really is uh, taking a look at uh, you know what and the type of property you have, uh, and you know making sure that you take some steps to mitigate uh, your your losses, uh, such as you know if you know a flood is coming, uh, try to move you know your contents out of the basement, uh, so that because that's where water goes uh, to the lowest point. Uh, and so uh, being able to, to do some things like that can also uh, help. Uh, you with uh, the financial impacts of of a flooding event. So, but we want to also make sure that we understand that renters need flood insurance too. And a lot of times, we don't think in that in that nature because I might think my uh, my landlord has uh, coverage for for me. Uh, they will on their building and won't on on as a renter your personal property so we don't want to not think about renters along with homeowners and small business owners of course too yeah that's a good uh opportunity to start talking about how how somebody can go about buying the flood insurance uh the product itself and many people are aware that the national flood insurance program is a is a federal government program but maybe they're not acquainted with how they can actually avail themselves of the of the policy itself. So how does a resident go about purchasing a flood insurance policy? Well, now that we've convinced them that they need the policy, <laughs> I think that it's important, as you're saying, to point them in the right direction, right? And so, yeah, the first step I would suggest, and and what's always worked uh, worked for me is to have a you know a friend, a relative, call their insurance company or the insurance agent. Who they're currently doing business with, you know, buying their homeowner coverage or their auto coverage or their renters coverage, and so contact uh, contact your insurance agent and ask them uh, to help you with uh, securing a, a a policy. We work with about fifty private insurance companies who administer the program on behalf of the federal government, on behalf of of the NFIP. Uh, but if your agent or company uh, 
doesn't isn't isn't a, a part of the the program. There's still an opportunity uh, for you to go to uh, our our website floodsmart.gov, where you can uh, find an NFIP insurance provider locator that can help you find an agent uh, uh, that's that's uh, near you that can uh, help you uh, with uh, securing the the flood insurance uh, coverage that that you really, really need. A couple things people keep, need to keep in mind when they're when they're looking at, at uh, you know, after they've made that decision to buy a policy is that there's typically a 30-day waiting period from the time that you purchase the policy until the coverage goes into effect. And so during that 30 days, if a flood hits, uh, you waited too long. Uh, really want to emphasize that you can't, you know, you can't procrastinate about this. And so, Really, uh, you know, do it now. Uh, do it when your homeowner policy comes up for renewal. Ask about it uh, then. But you, you have to not procrastinate because you know nature's not waiting for us. Uh, you know, the, the climate is is certainly changing. More frequent events, more severe events, and so uh, really want to uh, uh, can't can't emphasize enough the need to get the coverage and then understand that it doesn't go into effect for 30 days. That is so critical, especially as we look towards spring flooding. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, you can't just look at the forecast and think, well, now it's time to go out and buy flood insurance. I, I've been kind of, you know, waiting on it. You got to buy it now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, if you think a flood's coming your way, that's too late. Uh, it's, that's just the bottom line. So, David, you know, uh, there's countless number of structures that are already built in, in say, high-risk areas. And the price um, of flood insurance to protect those, those structures can be, uh, can be expensive at times. So what is the National Flood Insurance Program doing to address the issue of affordability? I think that we can't uh, ignore the fact that there are many uh, homeowners and renters in, uh, in high-risk areas along the rivers that the insurance is a is uh is a challenge to pay for that insurance uh, so i don't think we can ignore that affordability does play a role in uh not have us not having enough policyholders after a flooding event strikes strikes a community and so in 2018 uh, fema provided congress a uh an affordability framework to help guide the discussion on whether or not the federal government should develop an affordability program to help those low-income uh, property owners in, in risky areas have the coverage they need. And FEMA's put forward a proposal that is a part of the, of the reauthorization of the program discussion, whereby uh, the, the Congress would establish a means-tested premium assistance program to help low-income uh, property owners have this needed needed coverage. So it's on a sliding scale from about 120% average mean income in an area, uh, you know, down that uh, they would not have all of their premium taken care of, but let, you know, contribute to uh, helping uh, that, uh, that low-income in, uh, homeowner have the coverage they need by providing some premium assistance. Affordability has been a, a challenge, as I mentioned, since the beginning of the program. 
back in 1968. It's really become more of a challenge over the course of the last 20 years as these events have become more frequent and we're seeing more low-income uh, property owners not have the coverage. Just like their homeowner rates are going up, NFIP rates have gone up year after year after year. When we developed risk rating 2.0 for the first time, about 20% of our policyholders, about a million of our policyholders saw a decrease in their premium for the first time. And so under risk rating 2.0, when you reach your full risk rate, the premium increases uh, stop. But there are many policyholders that are gonna see those increases continue within the 18% statutory cap that Congress has placed uh, on the program, but it's gonna take a number of years at even at 18% for many of these risky properties to get to their full risk rate. So having, having said all of that, affordability is something that we need to tackle and uh, FEMA uh, National Flood Insurance Program working with Congress uh, to at least develop a, a program that would provide uh, premium assistance to low, low income into uh, property owners. Absolutely. Maybe this is a ding ding misconception number one. Not all flood insurance policies are through the National Flood Insurance Program. So can you tell me a little bit about the policies that we have and the difference? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, the reason why there's a National Flood Insurance Program now going back to 1968 is because uh, the, the private market, uh, there wasn't uh, really the availability of flood insurance in the private market. And when it was available, it was it was very expensive. And so that's why and you have the federal government stepping in when you had that kind of a void uh, to uh, provide for property owners this needed this needed protection. But there's still there is a private market. It's it's starting to grow some. Uh, I think the last number I saw from a Wharton School of Business in the uh, University of Penn was that about um, you know, five less than five percent, right around five percent of the of the residential uh, flood insurance policies are taken care of by uh, private uh, private flood. Uh, so the National Flood Insurance Program has the you know a, a very very large uh, piece of the flood risk uh, across the across the country. Now, if we're going to close the insurance gap, we need. We need private companies also. It's 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 it doesn't from my perspective, it's not so much who sells somebody the policy, but that everyone who needs that policy gets a policy. So I encourage people when you make that call to your insurance agent asking about uh, uh, flood insurance, ask if there's a private um, market in your uh, in your area, and if it is, ask the agent to compare and provide you with. The best, uh, the best product given your uh, given your particular needs, but for the, it looks like at least in the near term, the main the main provider of, of flood insurance, uh, residential flood insurance, is going to be the National Flood Insurance Program. Now I'm stressing residential because there is a market in the private uh, private insurance sector for uh, commercial or business insurance. And so a lot of the lot of companies, medium, large size companies don't have a problem getting the catastrophic coverage that they need. Some smaller businesses do. They're similar to residential, but only about 
of our book of business is with small business. So it's predominantly a residential uh, renters uh, insurance program. And do you happen to know roughly how many uh, policies the National Flood Insurance Program currently has? Yeah, we're right at uh, about 4.7 million policies all told. And unfortunately, that's that's not enough. We see event after event, whether they're a the flooding event in Kentucky, whether it's a flooding event like Ian, we're seeing that there's not enough d- disaster survivors with the insurance protection that they need. Also, that 4.7 uh, million policies, uh, we've, seen, we've seen a steady decrease in the number of policies over the course of the last dozen or, or so years. And so while one would think with all the flood events that we're seeing around the country, uh, the, you know, including, you know, the, this, the blast rainfalls, I call them that we, you know, that are dumping six to 10 inches of rain in, you know, 30 to, to, uh, 90 minutes, uh, with all those types of events, you would, you would think that it would be driving home, uh, the need for, the, for the coverage, but that's not, that's not the case. And so we still have to do everything we can to improve the program, to work with all of our stakeholders that I mentioned earlier, including emergency managers, uh, to be able to emphasize how critical having a flood insurance policy is. Yeah. I mean, if, as I sit here in Chicago, um, working out of FEMA region five, which, um, you know, serves the states around the Great Lakes, we know that in 2022, uh, each one of our states has had at least one seven inch rain event, seven inches of yeah. water. I mean, that yeah. is an incredible amount. And, and, uh, you know, those, those communities need to rebuild and, you know, this is just underscoring the, just how many of these events we're seeing and how critical this uh, is. So David, um, we've talked about the risk. We've talked about how important it is to have the policy and then therefore how to buy it. But there's still another misconception that I hear often. And that is, well, I, I'm not in a high risk area. And so I, I can't buy flood insurance. Talk to me about the zones, what what they mean. And then maybe we can kind of break down that misconception about who can buy what. Right. So first of all, and again, this gets back to, uh, you know, local, uh, local officials, uh, local uh, insurance agents, real estate, local emergency managers all need to recognize that if you're in one of the roughly 22,500 communities that participate in the national flood insurance program, you can buy flood insurance period regardless of where you are in that community. Uh, so, and, and that's important because, you know, uh, mother nature doesn't really look very closely at, at lines on a map uh, or a zone. Uh, mother nature dumps the rain where mother nature decides to dump it. And many times, uh, in fact, about over a third of our claim payments in any one year are outside the high risk area. So. It's really important for uh, policyholders, our you know homeowners, small business owners, renters. Uh, they need to focus on what their individual flood risk is versus where their property may be in a community, or comparing it to some other uh, some other area. Now, 
the flood, National Flood Insurance Program works with those 22,500 communities to develop flood insurance studies, flood insurance rate maps that are helpful, uh, that do show what the minimum standard is for floodplain management and for when flood insurance is required if you have a federally backed uh, mortgage. What people need to understand is those tools are not predictors of where it will flood. And so this idea that I'm in, not in the high risk area and so I won't flood, that's just, I pardon, I'm sorry, but that's just foolish. Um, the best indicator of a property's risk is to look at the property characteristics and where the property is located and what type of flooding events can occur in that property. And so we really are, are channeling our efforts at getting uh, everyone to understand uh, that the zone is, is somewhat important, but really look at the individual characteristics and understand that regardless of whether you're in the high risk area or medium risk area, you need a flood insurance policy. And that, uh, you know, that policy now will be, uh, will reflect the specific uh, risks of the property itself instead of uh, where, uh, where that property may be located on a, on a flood insurance rate map. So just to read that back to you, because I think this is a really important point um, and one that certainly I hear often in the regions, your community needs to participate in the National Flood Insurance Program, check. And if they do, you can buy, no matter where you are on a risk map, no matter what you're told in that community, you can buy flood insurance. Absolutely. And does the, the rate change based on where you are? So we've recently uh, have modernized our uh, rating premium uh, rating methodology so that it can uh, better reflect uh, what uh, what the flood risk is uh, today. And so in the past, your premium was determined by which zone you were in. And that's why people think about the zones. Now it, it's a, a policy is going to be based on, again, as I said, the specific property characteristics that uh, that your home that your home is. Um, in addition to that flood insurance study that I talked about before, which is still important, you know, we're looking at uh, better technology, better modeling that all allow us to more accurately reflect what a uh, flood risk is to to a property. We look at flood frequency and the, and different frequency of events instead of just the one you know uh, 1% annual chance event now we look at how the frequency so if you think about uh, the maps when you uh, see a hurricane where a hurricane might path and you see the spaghetti going across the across the uh, the gulf coast those that reflects various uh, potential frequency of of, a, of an event. Our program now does something similar to that, where we use multiple frequencies, quite frankly, in the thousands. Flood type, you know, is it a hurricane? Is it storm surge? Is it a heavy rainfall uh, event? Uh, is it uh, because uh, water came over and exceeded the the protection of a, of a levee or some other type of, of protection system? And then, how close are you to the? How close are you to that water 
uh, that water source, along with, uh, you know, what what's been used in the past, and that's elevation. You know, how high is your house relative to the flood level for your uh, your particular area? And then the last uh, last factor that is a part of uh, of our new rating methodology is uh, cost to rebuild, and. Uh, this is the first time that the NFIP has used cost to rebuild as one of the factors on what the policy should cost. And that's really important because our new rating methodology uh, takes care of an inequity that had developed over the years in the program where lower valued homes were paying more than they should and higher value homes were paying less than they should. And so the new uh, rating methodology uh, is uh, is more equitable, and uh, also uh, one can know that they're paying uh, a flood insurance premium based on their individual unique flood characteristics, risk characteristics versus you know uh, a zone and a a a more uh, global way of determining it. So uh, I think people when they hear and understand they're now paying for their risk, not somebody else's risk, they're more likely actually to, to buy, uh, to buy a flood insurance policy that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, I think, you know, in every community, there's going to be sort of the ebbs and flows in topography. And, and, um, I'm thinking about a person who maybe is looking at their street and looking downhill, right. And they're thinking, well, I don't really need flood insurance. You know, I, I you know, are there areas that maybe there isn't a flood risk? I mean, and I, I know it's maybe not, maybe not a smart thing for a resident to, you know, sort of think I'll always be protected. But, um, you know, when you think about those sort of like ways of thinking about your home, are there areas? I say this often and it, it's uh, maybe it's a little too simple, but uh, I think it is true. And that's where it can rain. It can flood. And so before that water flows down the hill, it's going to be on the ground for a while, even in that high area. Um, and so, you know, is there some place in the U.S. where there's absolutely zero flood risk? Yeah, maybe. But I would say people need to look at not the uh, not the exception, but look at what the rule is. And the rule is where it can rain, it can and, and flood. And because you know, we're now basing the cost of flood insurance on the individual property characteristics. It's also a, a more equitable, uh, a more equitable uh, a system. People say, well, how, how do you know that, you know, how can you assert that it's uh, the individual, this, this, this methodology is the best way to go? And it's because we have improved technology, you know, uh, 40 years ago, we didn't have cat, cat mo catastrophe models that that modeled flooding events. Uh, we didn't have the type of information uh, that NOAA collects, for example, and other federal agencies collect on uh, how flood, uh, what the broad range of flood variables are, what the flood frequency is. We now know more about the flood type. So. I think people can make informed uh, decisions now based on a very strong risk signal, and that's the cost of their cost of the insurance. And so, uh, that's fairly sound. 
it's a more equitable distribution of premiums across all of the policyholders. And so I think that uh, people, again, shouldn't think so much about, gosh, am I that unique? I don't have any flood risk. If they have low flood risk, they're going to have low premiums, right? And so, uh, but even so, uh, uh, that's, uh, it's a good value proposition for um, all those, uh, all, all property owners. And again, I, I don't, I don't think there's I I don't think there are many exceptions out there. So I'd like to talk a little bit about um, some, uh, maybe one more uh, misconception here, and that's why should somebody buy flood insurance? Doesn't my homeowner's insurance cover flooding? Talk a little bit about the different types of uh, insurance and, and what they would and would not cover. Sure. Well, it goes back to, again, uh, what I said, uh, the reason why the NFIP, uh, you know, finally, after a number of years back in 1968, uh, was uh, was was started. And that's because flood insurance wasn't available in the private market, meaning your homeowner policy didn't cover it. They excluded it. And so whether it's a renter's policy, a homeowner policy, most small business uh, policies all exclude flood insurance. Now, people might think intuitively uh, because an agent may have said to them, hey, I'm going to sell you an all-risk policy. What that agent forgot to do was say, except we don't cover you for flood, we don't cover you for earthquake. Uh, and so uh, the, the catastrophic losses are what aren't uh, provided under a, under a homeowner's policy. So don't get fooled into thinking that, you know, you got an all-risk policy that's going to take care of a flooding event because you're going to be sorely disappointed when that flood, uh, when that flood occurs. So, uh, again, you've got to get a separate flood insurance policy. And uh, as you do some other cat, cat events, like, uh, like I mentioned, earthquakes. So uh, make sure you talk to that agent and have a, a well-rounded uh, insurance portfolio that provides you the protection you need for the risk in the in the area that you live. When we uh, talk about purchase options, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there are different reasons people may want to purchase flood insurance. One being because they um, see the value in protecting their assets, um, their home, and the other might be somebody who is being required to purchase flood insurance uh, by their mortgage company. Can you walk me through the these different types of um, potential policyholders? Sure. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the community that participates in the National Flood Insurance Program so that the property owners in their community can have insurance, have a requirement to make sure that they uh, regulate development in their community to the minimum federal standard, the 1% annual chance event. It's called the special flood hazard area or the high risk area. And uh, about you know, from the almost the beginning of the program, the federal government said, you know, listen, um, if we're going to have this program and you're going to participate in this program, if you're in the high risk area and we're providing a federal federal government, federally backed mortgage to a property owner, then the federal government requires, the lenders require uh, someone to, to purchase a flood insurance program uh, policy. Now they don't require them to, it, the law doesn't require that uh, you, you have to buy a national flood insurance policy. There are private companies, as we mentioned, and the lenders recognize those private companies. If they 
uh, exceed match or exceed the coverage that's provided by the National Flood Insurance Program, they accept they accept that. So it it is to be to conform. It's important that those that have that mortgage. Uh, and again, we rely, it's a whole community. We rely on agents and stakeholders. You know, when somebody's buying a property, if they're in the special flood hazard area, to tell them that upfront as early as we can in the process so they don't get surprised at the closing table that they now have another, another cost uh, on top of what they thought their uh, total costs were gonna be to purchase that home. And so that mandatory insurance uh, provision is, is important for people to recognize. And is uh, is the one is the one um, I would say uh, one means by which uh, in the past the federal government has tried to uh, close the insurance gap and to make sure that those that are most at risk have a policy. Now the unintended consequence of that, Mark, has been that if an individual uh, is not in that high risk area and they're not being forced to buy that policy. Unfortunately, the unintended consequence has been, well, they think I must not be at risk. And so they don't buy the policy. And so that's what our earlier conversation of really breaking down the line on the map and who should have it, and who shouldn't have it. You know, we, we really need to move away from uh, only those that have a federally backed mortgage have to have the coverage. Everybody needs the coverage. As I said, where it can rain, uh, where it can rain, it can flood. So let's talk about maybe another point of confusion with regard to flood insurance and maybe multiple insurance policies. And that's maybe that hurricane situation where you have wind, you've got rising waters, you've got heavy rain events. Um, does flood insurance cover damages from multiple sources like that? Yeah. It, you know, again, regardless of if, if, if my property is damaged by, uh, by water from a natural event, regardless of, of the source, then the, the NFIP policy will uh, provide protection according to you know the the policy uh, the policy itself, and so it's not just storm surge or hurricane risk. Uh, it's 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 all kinds of of flooding events that can happen, including an urban flooding now, uh, where. Uh, before we didn't have a good handle on what that risk is. Now, again, because we have a lot more information, better technology, uh, we get a lot of, you know, what people consider kind of, you know, they used to consider, you know, minor events uh, when a storm, storm system, storm sewer system uh, in a community is, is overwhelmed and causes uh, neighborhood flooding. That's, co that's covered under the, the NFIP policy. So along with all of those other types of events that I mentioned, uh, it's important, again, for you to look at what your risks are and uh, make, a, make a determination that I can't wait because it's, there's a 30-day waiting period. And so I make, make that call to my agent. Absolutely. So I'd like to just switch gears a little bit um, and talk about uh, flood recovery within uh, the context of the National Flood Insurance Program. And I'm going to tee this up with a, maybe another misconception. And that is that if I've experienced a flood, and we know floods can and will happen um, to uh, all over the country, uh, if residents experience that flooding, that they should hold off until, you know, maybe something happens, right? Maybe they, they contact somebody that they shouldn't do anything to their property. Uh, what is the first thing that they should do? Well, you know, again, we've, we've been talking about this in a pretty matter of fact, uh, business-like way, but you know, what we're really talking about is disaster suffering. 
And these flooding events cause tremendous disaster suffering. I've been in too many neighborhoods and too many communities after flooding events, uh, you know, looking at uh, visiting a, a, a policyholder to make sure they're getting their claim taken care of well. Unfortunately, they're the only one on that block with that coverage. And there's, you know, a number of other families that are truly devastated by that that flooding event. And, and uh, you know, and even our even our policyholders, uh, you know, when they come back to what their home once was and instead find it, you know, really damaged or in some cases even dis destroyed, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking. It takes uh, incredible strength that I've that I've seen uh, firsthand for survivors to start picking up the pieces. I've I've been at flooding events the the day after the floodwaters gone away talking to homeowners and and it's it's you know uh, really as I said heartbreaking as they go through and see the damage to their property uh to their contents to the things that are important to them you know uh albums uh, uh pictures you know diplomas all those types of those types of things so i want to put that into context so that people really understand what we're talking about when now i say okay but yeah you got to start right and so you, you start the process by calling your insurance agent uh your or your insurance company as, as soon as possible uh with the national flood insurance program ask about whether there are any advanced payments that can be made before the agent, I mean, before the adjuster even comes out to the property to, you know, have those, some early dollars to help with those, uh, those early costs. The insurance company will then assign an adjuster uh, to determine how much, uh, you know, what the flood damage is um, and, and how much uh, their policy covers, what it, what it covers. And that adjuster will either uh, do that in person which is most of the time, or during COVID, uh, we actually started adjusting claims uh, remotely when a policyholder agreed uh, to uh, to have it done remotely instead of in person. And with again, with the technology we have today, the adjusters can get a lot of what they need by uh, you know off uh, somebody doing a you know doing a walk around with their with their with their phone. So it's important that uh, you get that process started. It's important for people to make sure it's safe to enter their, uh, enter their home. And then when they're able to, uh, the adjuster will, uh, can be helped by, if you take fit photos or videos of the items that have been damaged, if you've got uh, information on, let's say your appliances, you know, what the make model serial number is, uh, what type of flooring you have, that type of thing. And so those are, you know, having that information available will help move that claim along. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so it can, uh, so you can get the dollars to start that, that recovery. There's also cleanup, uh, of course. Uh, and so, you, uh, you know, removing the wet building material, that type of thing is important. So you don't have, uh, you know, uh, this growth or the spread of, of mold, uh, you know, because again, uh, there is uh, some limitations to the policy. And one of them is if you haven't taken the necessary steps, uh, the reasonable measures after a flood to avoid having mold, then then we'll you know have to have a have to have a discussion about uh, about about that. But most importantly, 
It's not easy. It's not quick. Uh, but, you know, your uh, policyholder is not alone. The National Flood Insurance Program, the insurance companies that work with us and the adjusters are going to going to take care of uh, take care of our insured survivors to make sure they get on that road to recovery. Absolutely. You know, I, I certainly know that you are out there um, following these events and, um, and and you've seen a variety of different flood events. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, are you seeing uh, changing damages, more intense areas of flooding uh, due to climate change? Is, is that contributing to the change in flood risk? I don't think there's any. It, it's undeniable that the climate crisis is is staring us right, you know, staring us right in the face. And, you know, it hasn't happened uh, overnight. Uh, we actually, you know, from about 1985 until uh, 2004 was a relatively calm uh, period relative to um, you know major major flood events. 2004, which is getting close to now 20 years ago, for the past couple decades now, we've had uh, an increasing number of uh, major events. Whether it's the four Florida hurricanes in 2004, followed up by uh, you know which I worked or the Hurricane uh, Katrina, Rita, and Wilma in 2005. Uh, which I worked, you know, you've got Sandy, you've got the the flooding that happened in, in Baton Rouge, uh, I think in 2016 or 17, which was the largest inland flood event, uh, well over a billion dollars worth of damage uh, for, for that event. Of course, uh, Hurricane um, Harvey. So uh, Ian, most recently, I'm, I'm forgetting some important ones, but uh, because there's too many. Oh, you could, t- Michael, I mean, they go on and on, unfortunately. That's that's the whole point, because they're more frequent. The last 20 years, intense, severe uh, disasters. Uh, so part of, part of what we're doing in resilience is trying to make sure that communities have uh, the resources they need to uh, be resilient so they can bounce back quicker if they have an event, but after an event also, to be able to uh, build back stronger than the way the way they were. Fortunately, we're seeing what I think is an a historic alignment of uh, recognizing that climate change is one of our greatest challenges. Whether starting with the White House to tribal, local, territorial uh, governments, the bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed in November of 2021 represents the nation's. Uh, single largest investment in climate uh, resilience, all all important, all moving things uh, in the right direction, uh, because it's key, as we know, uh, tackling the, the the climate crisis is going to take a, a whole of government approach, uh, and and particularly one uh, that also uh, you know emphasizes uh, emphasizes equity, because. You know, the reality is disasters hit marginalized communities the hardest. Uh, vulnerable populations tend to live in hazard prone areas. Unfortunately, their homes many times are built to lower standards. It takes these areas, the these individuals, families the longest to recover if they recover. And so, in addition to having more dollars for mitigation to address, uh, and help communities and individuals become more resilient. We're also uh, laser focused on making sure that we're uh, delivering these programs with equity in mind. As as I hear you talk about just 
the increase of these storms, the severity, and, and the way that we're thinking about responding and recovering to them, um, I, all disasters are local. And so I'm, I'm sort of thinking about um, the fact that the communities need to respond. The, the communities themselves need to recover. And the emergency managers often are sort of in the front line. In light of those increasing flood changes and risks, what do emergency managers need to know about flooding and the flood insurance program? Well, the first thing I would suggest is they not ignore it uh, and, and, and not think that it's something that somebody else should be uh, dealing with. You know, I was a mayor of a small, uh, a small town in, in rural uh, Nebraska. You know, we had flooding events going back a number of years. Uh, community decided, you know what, we're going to we're going to we're going to tackle this problem. We're going to we're going to move the 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 and 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 buy out the areas in the community that are most flood prone so that we can move those people to to safer to safer ground and over over a number of years uh you're able to uh you know turn an area that was flood prone that had all the problems that I mentioned earlier uh, into uh you know parks and areas where flooding doesn't uh, does you know in in activities that flooding doesn't uh, doesn't damage we do all that through through our mitigation grant programs and we've got uh, again I I mentioned the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, 6.8 billion dollars uh, came to FEMA to help with flood mitigation uh with uh, our uh, building resilient infrastructure and communities grant program, all to help uh, communities and individuals become more resilient. So I just encourage all the emergency managers to to look into this. Uh, we're trying to make our grant programs uh, less complex. And so, uh, you know, if you're an emergency manager in a community that said it's too much work to do this, take another look uh, because there's more dollars available than than ever before. And then, you know, we're also, uh, you know, FEMA developed a national building code strategy. Uh, the Biden administration has uh, has leveraged that and has started a national initiative to advance building codes. And so we want to encourage emergency managers and other local officials to make sure they have up to date uh, disaster resilient building codes, because there's no question strong building codes uh, save lives. And and reduce property uh, reduce property damage. So we want to look at all of these measures, whether it's mitigation, building codes, insurance. We need all of that to reduce, uh, dis, you know, reduce disaster suffering. You know, there's been a lot of changes in the in the national flood insurance program over time, and I and obviously we have a a, a really strong emphasis on uh, instilling equity in emergency management, which you mentioned. And I wondered if you could talk about some of the changes in the NFIP uh, risk rating 2.0 and how they will seek to achieve equity. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, as I as I mentioned earlier, you know, we. Risk rating 2.0 equity in action. We we now have a transformational uh, change in the program that uh, provides for the development of a rate structure that is equitable and designed to adapt to uh, climate change. It ensures that both rate increases and decreases are commensurate with a property's uh, unique flood risk and in line with the cost to rebuild that I mentioned uh, before. So a dramatic change uh, that 
is going to, I think, help close uh, the insurance gap because in addition to developing a new methodology, we developed a, uh, a rating engine uh, technology allowed us to uh, so the old uh, the old manuals that look like a phone book uh, are are replaced now with uh, an insurance agent can go to their uh, computer uh, answer about ten questions thereabouts and and get a, a a rate that they know is an accurate rate from the National Flood Insurance Program's rating engine that so much simplifies the 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 work of the of the agent that I believe we're going to see more agents uh, you know uh, start participate in the program those agents that maybe in the past thought it was too complicated too complex so just like any business you know we improve our price we improve our distribution meaning more agents out there selling and then we improve our product which is another transformational initiative that's underway and that we're developing a new uh, NFIP policy form that will, for one thing, uh, have you only have to buy one policy. I talked earlier, you had to buy two policies now, but we're moving to, like your homeowner policy, you buy one policy that covers both your dwelling and your contents, gives you more options, uh, gives more choices for the policyholder and easier for the agent. So we're, I believe the transformative things that we're doing to improve our price, our distribution and our product are gonna help uh, close, uh, close that insurance gap. And a big part of that is policyholders are gonna pay a premium that fairly reflects the cost to insure their specific property based on its unique uh, flood risk. With all that in mind, if you're talking to somebody who is on the fence about whether to buy flood insurance, setting aside, you know, an individual circumstance of uh, maybe their mortgage company requiring it, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, kind of where we started, Mark, the very beginning. Uh, Don't, don't fall into the trap that you don't think uh, a flood and flood damage is gonna happen to you and your property. Recognize and acknowledge what your flood risk is, and then take steps to first minimize the damage that could be caused by a flood, but then uh, have that financial tool, a flood insurance policy, that will provide you with the resources you need to repair and replace your home after a flooding event so that you can protect the life that you've built. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov podcast. Mm-hmm.